Isaiah chapter 12, that's where we're at today. I'm going to read uh, the whole chapter, six verses. So if you remember, we were in uh, Romans. Uh, we went through Romans chapter 6, and then we kind of paused and took a break in, to Isaiah for Christmas. And uh, last uh, time I was with you, we were with Isaiah 9, kind of a Christmas passage. And so now we're going to be in 12. We're going to stay in Isaiah for about another month or so. Then we'll jump back into Romans, and then we'll come back into Isaiah in uh, the Easter season, okay? So Isaiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you are angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy. O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Father, we thank you for the text that we have in front of us. And we thank you, Father, that you are a great deliverer. That you are our salvation and our strength and our song. And God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred in affection for you. God, that we would, uh, we would respond in great joy and in proclamation for all that you've done for us. Lord, please work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first big question in this chapter is, the first verse says, okay, in that day you will say. So you're going to say, you're going to respond. This is going to be where your heart responds in that day. So what, what day, right? That, that's the first question that we need to ask. What day is Isaiah talking about that our heart is going to respond in this way? And, and the answer to that is, is the day of deliverance, okay? The day when God rescues you. Now, what, what day exactly was Isaiah talking about? Well, anytime you're talking about the prophets, what you have to remember is prophecy, usually a good image for me is, is the Rocky Mountains, okay? So we, were, we went skiing last week, and so we were driving to the Rocky Mountains, and as you're coming about, a, you know, about 70, 80, 100 miles out, you see one big mountain range, right? You just see one huge range. It almost looks like you're going to drive right into the things and go straight up, right? But as you get closer, what you realize is, well, you're actually seeing foothills, you know, and small mountains, and then, then, then the divide, you know, the 14,000 footers in, in the background, okay? But you, you could see that as you were approaching. It just looked like one range, right? But as you got closer, then, then what you saw was the different different levels. In fact, when you're really close, you can't see the big ones. All you can see is the small ones, all right? So what is Isaiah talking about here when he talks about that day, the day when God delivers them, okay? Well, it, it could be, it is actually, that he's talking about the context, okay? So the context in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8 and 9, if you look back in chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2, you see that Israel is being attacked, Okay, there, 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 there are a couple nations around them that are aggressively pursuing to overtake them. All right, and so in that way, Isaiah 12 would be 
very contextually relevant for, for that group of people saying, all right, in this, in this situation, when God delivers you, you're going to respond this way. Okay, but the whole book of Isaiah is really about, and we're going to see this the more we get into it, the first 39 chapters are God saying, man, judgment's coming if you don't repent. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming. And, and they don't repent. And so they, the whole nation gets taken into exile. And then chapters 40 through 66 are all about how God is going to rescue them out of exile. Huge in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. God's going to bring the nation of Israel back to their homeland. And so that, again, would be their deliverance. But, okay, those are all really the foothills, all right? So those are true. God's going to deliver his people in that way. But you know the big ones that's coming? The big mountains in the background? Well, if you remember Isaiah 7. What did Isaiah 7? It said, it said a virgin's going to give birth, and his name will be called Emmanuel, right? God with us. Isaiah 9, for unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, and his name will be Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? The Messiah. Chapter 11. Chapter 11 talks about the branch the, from the, the, the stump of Jesse that would later become the Messiah. Chapter 11, verse 4. His righteousness, he'll judge the poor, he'll decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And so the context there is the coming of Jesus Christ who would deliver all those in their sins. All right? And so which is it? Well, it's all those, right? I mean, for us today, it's, it's, it's that Jesus came to deliver us from our sin. And that there's a coming deliverance coming when he's going to establish the new heavens and the new earth and righteousness will reign, right? And so it's in the day that God delivers you, then you're going to respond in this way. So what way does Isaiah say that we will respond in the day of our deliverance? Well, look at verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. So the first response of a believer, okay? So when God delivers you, what ought to be filling your heart and ought to be coming out of your mouth and coming out of your life is gratitude, okay? It is, it's gratefulness. One of the primary characteristics of a believer is, is gratitude, okay? And, and he's specific here gratefulness or thankfulness that our position has been drastically changed in relation to God. Okay, at once he was angry with us, but now he's turned to comfort us. If you were with us in our study through Romans, one of the things you, we saw over and over again was, was when a person turns away from their sin and puts their faith in Jesus. Do you remember what happens? They're joined to Jesus. They're, they're connected to Jesus' righteous life and his atoning death. All right, And what happens when we're joined to Jesus, a couple great words, let me give them to you. We're reconciled to God. Okay, What does reconciled mean? It means things are right with us, right? There's peace between us and God now. We're, we're okay with God. He's okay with us. Okay, Another great word that's used over and over, we're justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means you're made righteous. Like, like you're, you're just, like your, your sin is taken away, your offense is taken away, and you're actually made righteous in him. Now, those are all phrases that really describe that God's not angry with us. You've heard me say that, right? In, in working through Romans, that, that as we work through these theological concepts, what we find out is that when you're joined to Jesus, when, when, when you're born again, when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, man, God's not angry with you. You don't have to come here this morning with your head hung, say, man, I'm, I'm a failure. I haven't been all that God wants me to be. No, you're righteous in Christ. You, you, you're filled with His Spirit. You're a child of His. He's pleased with you. That, that, that's, that's, the, that's the gospel. But here, here's what's real. 
But there was a time when he was angry with you. You see, God's anger is real. You see, we, we shouldn't so emphasize what Christ does in us that we forget that, man, when you're in your sins, God is angry with you. Our, our society doesn't like to phrase it that way. I think, I think we kind of back away with that. Whoa, hold on. But it's real, isn't it? It's true. Is God angry at sin? You bet he is. Why is God angry at sin? Well, sin brings death and disease and violence and war and injustice and suffering. Man, is God angry at those things? Yes, he is. God is not pleased with iniquity. God's not a God who, who looks down at a broken world who's perishing and he's happy with that. God's not happy with that. God is angry with sin because he's a righteous judge who will punish sin and who will eventually bring about a kingdom in which there is no sin. Isaiah chapter 1. We didn't get a chance to look at this, which is a shame. Um, we spent too much time in Romans 6, and so we, we just had to skip over these chapters. But Isaiah chapter 1 is a great picture of the brokenness of mankind without a Savior, okay, without Jesus. And so Isaiah 1, let me, let me just read some verses. We'll just read three or four verses here. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Okay, look at these images that God paints for us of, of the brokenness of sin. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Okay, the first image is of, of a parent who raises up a child, who, who gives the child everything they need, and then that child grows up and turns against them and rebels against them. Next image, verse 3. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people don't understand. Second image there is, is that even a donkey knows, man, hey, that guy there, he owns me. He brings me hay every day, you know? He brings me feed. He fills up my water trough. You know, hey, the, the donkey sees the master coming, he runs, okay? God says, even a donkey knows that, but my, my own people don't realize where their blessing comes from. My own people don't realize where, 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 where their provision comes from. They don't come to me. Next picture, verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laid and down, burdened down, covered with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. All these are pictures of sin. Look at verse 5. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Man, do you see God's heart there? He's like, why would you hurt yourself? <laughs> why, why, would, why would you continue to run into sin that's going to that's gonna bring harm into your life. Why would you stay in unforgiveness? Why would you stay in bitterness? Why, why would you stay in immorality? Why, why would you do that? And then the final picture, verse, end of verse 5, verse 6. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Man, it's, it's a picture of, of the inside of a sinner. Okay, this is not talking about the outside. It's talking about the inside. He says, man, you're, you're infected. You, you're oozing. You're, you're, you're bleeding. You're wounded. On the inside, you're broken in your sin. And God is the one who's going to make you well again. That's the day of deliverance. All right, and so, so chapter 12, verse 1, you will say in that day, in the day that God delivers you, you'll, you'll give thanks. You'll be filled with gratitude to the Lord. Why? Because God was angry with you but his anger's been turned away that he might comfort you. Man, there ought to be a deep sense of gratitude when a relationship is restored. Have you ever been the one that ruined it? You know? 
Have you ever been the one that ruined Christmas? We just had Christmas. So have you ever been that guy, you know? Like, like you know, mom brought everybody and all the family in, and you were the one that stirred up the pot, you know? You were the one that played games and threw the big fit and threw the Monopoly board up and stormed out, you know? Have you ever been that guy, you know? None of you have, right? Yeah, have you ever been the one who ruined the relationship? You were the one that betrayed. You were the one who lied. You were the one who, you were the one who messed it up. We were the ones who messed it up with God. And how good is it when that's true of you? How good is it when you're the one that's just made this horrible mess? How good is it for there to be a way for it all to be put back together? For it all to be taken away? The offense to be gone? The the trouble to be washed away? That's that's verse 1. Verse 1 says, Isaiah says, man, in the day of God's deliverance, you're going to give thanks to the Lord. Because you were at odds with God. He was angry with you. His wrath was coming down on you. And now, now it's not just that God's like, all right, I'm not at odds with you anymore, but I'm going to stay over here. You stay over there. No. God says, now I'm going to comfort you. We're going to restore the relationship. Here's what Isaiah is saying. And here's what the whole Bible says. One of the major characteristics of a believer is that we are a thankful people. Okay. Like, here's what ought to be happening. Isaiah 12 is all about how ought your heart to respond. How ought your heart to respond to God's deliverance? And and one of the chief ways is in gratitude. God's people are to be a thankful people, a people who recognize how good he is, how, how blessed we are, who recognize the value of God's work in our lives. Here's the deal. God's people won't be grumblers. Okay? One of the, my favorite verses is in Philippians chapter 2. I, I say it to my, my kids all the time, you do all things without grumbling and complaining, you know? Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And, and, and that's what's true of, 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 of God's people is one of the characteristics is we're people of gratitude, not of grumbling. All right? It's interesting. Isaiah chapter 12 parallels Exodus 15. They have some of the very same elements, some of the same verses actually in them. Exodus 15 is a, is a song, just like Isaiah 12 is. And it's a song of deliverance. It's after God's people have been delivered. Here's the context, though, okay? So God goes into Egypt. If you remember the story in Exodus, he goes into Egypt. His people are in slavery there. And man, through a series of 10 miraculous plagues, he rescues them out of Egypt. He brings them to the Red Sea. They're blocked in. The Egyptian army's behind them. God parts the Red Sea. He brings his people through. The Egyptian army comes. He closes the waters. He wipes out the Egyptian army. And on the other side of that bank, they sing. They sing Exodus 15, which is a very similar song to Isaiah 12. All right? But here's, here's the interesting thing. If you've read Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, if you've read even your Old Testament, you know this is true. Not all of those people that were rescued were people of faith. You know how we know? You know one of the big tip-offs of that? You know what happens in Exodus 16, the next chapter? Griping, Okay? grumbling, complaining, whining. I mean, it's so evident. I mean, for the next, you know, 40 years, what you have in in, in this group of people is people who don't feel blessed. They they keep wanting to go back to Egypt. Every time they hit a trial, every time they hit a struggle, man, they're like, ah, God, God, look, look, he's he's not done this for me. He's he's not rescued me. They, They don't have confidence in God. For you see, the Bible says those who are truly God's will respond in gratitude to him. We went through Romans um, right before we jumped into Isaiah, and we spent a bunch of time in Romans 1. And we spent a bunch of time there because Romans 1 is the root of sin. Remember? It's a very important chapter in the Bible because it tells where does sin come from. 
And, and what we learned out of Romans 1 is that sin comes because people don't want God. Okay, there's that, there's that cool phrase in Romans 1. It happens several times. And it says they exchange the glory of God for other things. Right? You know what it means to exchange something. Y'all just had Christmas, right? Did anybody, I know you, you were thankful for your gifts, and, but in, did anybody get something where in your mind and heart you were thinking, I wonder if I could take this back and get something else, you know? Um, maybe you were, maybe you weren't, I don't know. But that's what it is to exchange something, right? It was like, I, I don't want this, I want something else. And, and Romans 1 tells us that's the root of sin is we don't want God. We don't value Him. We don't treasure Him. And because of that, one of the main ways that that's seen we're not thankful. Romans 1, 21 says, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. It's a mark of somebody who hasn't really been delivered. And so, what does Isaiah 12 say right away? It says, first thing, okay, you will say in that day, you will say in the day of deliverance, man, I give thanks to you, O God. I give thanks. My heart is filled with gratitude to you, O God. Why? Look at verse 2, Okay. Verse 2 says, behold, because this, this is what a person who's been delivered says, God is my, notice the my's here. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. Three my's there. My salvation, my strength, my song. All right? Now, what is that telling us? Well, that's telling us that when you've been delivered, you, you realize God is the source of, number one, your salvation. Now, not just you're being born again, but your deliverance. So God, God is the, the rescue from all that threatens you. What threatens you? Well, your, your well-being is threatened, right? Your safety is threatened, your security. You know, you know where most of us live? We live with this fear that our, our happiness is being threatened, right? Somebody, something, some disease, some circumstance threatens, right? Your well-being, your happiness, Okay, now, now what Isaiah 12 is saying is, God is my salvation. God is the one who delivers me from that. God is the one who rescues me from the things that threaten me. Not only is God my salvation, God is also my strength. What does that mean? It's all throughout the Bible, God is my strength. It means God is the resource. He, he's where I go to get what I need to do what I'm called to do. I don't know about you guys, but I continually feel insufficient that that's that's a continual and i think it's right like i think i should okay i continue man when i when i think about what i'm called to be man i'm called to be a husband okay for coming up in august 25 years i've been a husband to emma and man there's not a day that goes by that i feel like that i can handle that right i mean now i can i can stay married i can say i do and kind of gut it out okay that's not what i'm called to do I'm called to Ephesians 5, right? I'm called to be like Christ, to love my wife as Christ loves the church, unconditional, sacrificial, to, to redeem her and, and to, clean, to, to be Jesus in that relationship. And man, I, I, I can't. Like, I don't have the power to do that. God is my strength. You see, he's where I go to get the truth, the power, the resources to be that. Man, I'm, I'm called to be a dad right now to six kids. Man, that's hard. Man, to be consistent over 22 years, you know? I mean, man, I can knock it out of the park for a couple hours, you know, but 22 years of consistently modeling and, and being an example and, 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 and sowing seeds of truth and giving wisdom. And man, that's, God, I can't. God is my strength. I'm called to be a pastor. I don't even need to go into that. Man, God, I can't. 
God is my salvation. God is my strength. And this is maybe one you haven't thought of. Notice verse two. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. God is my song. What's your song? Your, Your song is your reason for celebration. Your song is your reason for hope. Okay? Hope is that confident expectation of good things to come see for a lot of the world the, their song their hope is man this whole deal is going to come together you know my business deal is going to come together and then i'm going to have this much money and, and then i'm going to have this much power and all this or, or my, my my hope is my family you know for a lot of people their song literally is their family that's why Christmas is so devastating. That's why the holidays are so depressing for a lot of people, you know? Because they, they build this up in their mind. Here's how it's going to be. You know, they're all going to come home, and they're all going to be harmonious, and they're all, you know? And, and man, it actually happens, and they're like, man, my song is disappointing, you know? I was, I, I, there's, there's not a reason to celebrate. But Isaiah 12 says, God is my song. You are my song. The Lord God is my strength and my song. You're my reason to celebrate, my reason for hope. And, and, and in responding there, notice those little phrase in verse two we left out. I will trust and not be afraid. You see, when God is your source of rescue, when God is your source of strength, God is your source of, of he makes me sufficient. He carries me, he enables me. When God is your song, when he's your, your source of celebration, then you can trust. You can trust. You can, man, God, I trust you. All right, this thing hit my life, God, and I wasn't expecting it, and it's no good. But God, I, I trust you. Man, you're my, you're my salvation. You're my strength. You're my song. God, I've had this thing that, that I never thought would, would, would happen to my family, but God, you're my strength. You're my salvation. You're my song. I trust you, God, and I won't be afraid. I really think if we poll people, they would not say that fear is a major factor in their life. I disagree with that. Because really fear in the Bible is set in opposition to faith. Okay? So in the context, you know, again, if we had time to look at the context, in Isaiah, King Ahaz is surrounded by some armies and he's tempted to, he's tempted to be fearful. In fact, Isaiah rebukes him for that. Isaiah 7, 4 says, And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these people that are threatening you. I think a lot of people make decisions out of fear. I think a lot of people aren't bold in their mission out of fear. I think a lot of people aren't aren't bold about their faith out of fear. I think a lot of people don't hold their ground in areas of truth because they're afraid. And bad things happen when we're more afraid of circumstances and people than we are of displeasing God. Some of you aren't convinced. You're like, nah, fear's not a factor for me. All right, well, are you ever worried? Do you struggle with that? Do you struggle with, with laying up at night, rolling the bills in your head, you know, worrying, stress? Is that a factor in your life? Anxiety? What, what's the root of anxiety and stress and worry? It's fear, isn't it? What if this happens? What if this didn't come in? Right? So, so Isaiah is saying here in Isaiah 12, man, in the day that God delivers you, if he has delivered you, Man, your heart's full of thanksgiving. You're able to say, God's my salvation. He's my, my strength and my song. So I, I'm not going to fear. Man, I, I'm laying stress down. I'm laying worry aside. Because I, I trust that he's going to take care of me. That God will be to me all that I need. 
Now, big question. And here's where I really want to to get to this. All right, is this a one-time deal? So we're saying in the day of deliverance. Uh, So if, if we equate that to our salvation, which is indeed for many of us the day when God delivered us, right? For me, man, that's 26 years ago. That was May of 1990. Uh, that's a long time ago. And, and, and so is, is this all past news for me? Because really, these characteristics happened then, you know? Man, I, I came to know Jesus at age 18. I'd been in church for probably 10 years before that. My dad had been a Christian for about 10 years. He started taking us to church. Um, none of it clicked for me for about 10 years. I mean, I knew all the stuff. I, I knew all the stories. But I didn't really put my trust in Christ until I was 18. But man, when that happened, I'm telling you, gratitude I'm telling you, God was my strength. No more fear. Man, I didn't, I, for the first time in my life, I didn't care what people thought of me. I mean, it was so freeing. I mean, all these, these responses indeed happened during that season of my life. I began to sing. I mean, God was my song. I began to celebrate. Man, I went to college and, and roomed with a baseball player, Matt Krebs. And man, he started discipling me. And one, one afternoon there in the fall, shortly after we got into school, he said, hey, I'm going to the rest home. You want to go? And I thought, okay, I was waiting for the rest of the joke. <laughs> and what are you going to the rest home for, man? You know, is that... I'm going to go, he was, he's a piano player. He said, I'm going to go sing for those people. And I was like, oh, okay, you know? I mean, for the first time in my life, it made sense to me to, to celebrate. Man, it made sense to me to, to rejoice and, and to proclaim. Okay, so that, that stuff happened, but that was 26 years ago. Is there still a reason for me to respond in this way? Well, look at verse 3. It's going to be hard going through Isaiah because, man, there's 66 chapters we're, not, we're just going to skim through. How do, how do you pick which passages? This, this little phrase is what captured my attention. Are you ready? Verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So what, what this is saying is this is to be a continual response. God delivered me 26 years ago, okay, in 1990. But you know what I get to do now? I get to come back again and again and again and again, drawing water from the wells of salvation. What a great picture. You know, I, I don't think it hits us like it ought to hit us because water is so easy for us, right? If you want to drink, what do you do? You go back to the faucet and turn it on, right? You go to the water fountain, you, you, you go out to the yard. Or the ho- I mean, it's everywhere, right? It's so easy. But for people in Jesus' day, a well, to have a well was life. Man, if you get to go with us in, to India... Man, this, this is our mission strategy in India. We find a pastor in a rural village who's got a little house church. He's got four or five people who are gathered together learning about Jesus. You know what we do? Our church drills a water well in front of that guy's house. You know why we do that? Because now the villagers who had to walk five miles to some filthy, you know, dung-infested river to get their water, now they come to that pastor's house, and there's a plaque on there that says, you know, Jesus is the, is the, is the water of life. All right, and, and it's free to everybody. I mean, it's life to that community. That's what, that's, what, that's what God is for us. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The thing that captured my attention was, was our tendency to get stagnant and to dry up. Man, I'm going back to my New Year's resolution, okay? Just don't, don't be irritated. You're going to hear about it for a couple weeks, all right? So here's, here's my big one, 
I usually have like a big one, and then under it I have things that I'm trying to do to accomplish the big one. And then I usually have some variety ones. Okay, I've got some for my family. I actually made one uh, about my grandparents this year. I, I have a resolution just to try to minister to them in, in a better way. I live a long ways from them. And so anyway, I got. but my big one is this. It is to stir up my affection. See the word affection? That, that deals with my heart, right? That's not dealing with my actions. That's dealing with my heart. To stir up my affections for God. And, and the reason is because, you know how easy it is to be doing the right things as a Christian, but to be dried up in our hearts. Spiritual drought is a continual theme in the Old Testament. Man, you see it all over. But most of the time when Israel is in a bad place, you know, you know what happens? God, God, God sends a, a physical drought, and it's like a picture. It's a picture of their hearts. That they're, they're dried up on the inside. I mean, I, I'm telling you, it would blow me away. It would blow, I, I, and I don't know a fact. I, I, can't, I can't see into your heart. You can't see into mine. But it would blow me away if, some, if someone could prove to me that there's not a person in this room right now who's not in a spiritual drought in their life. That would really surprise me. I, I would say more likely... There's many people in this room who would say, man, God is not near to me like he used to be. I'm still doing the right things. I'm still coming. You're here. I'm still coming to church. But, but God is not close. I, 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 I don't have this overwhelming sense of gratitude. I don't have, at one time, I had this great joy that bubbled up out of me, and that's, that's kind of gone. It would surprise me if, if there wouldn't be many people in this room who would say, man, I'm kind of in that place right there. All right, and, and, and that's why Isaiah 12 says, man, with joy, you need to drink. You need to draw from the waters of salvation. You, you need to go. God delivered you maybe, maybe years or decades ago. But man, you can go now back to the well. Go to the well and draw. And notice, it's a well. Man, how discouraging would it be if, if, if Isaiah 12, 3 said, with joy, you will draw from the sippy cup of salvation. I mean, how, how discouraging would that be? You know, or with joy, you will draw from the Route 44 even. That's a big cup, but I've seen some of you down it in like three minutes, you know. I mean, it's gone. I mean, how discouraging would it would be if, if it's a five-gallon bucket of salvation? No, it's a well. It's a, it's a continual source that you can come back to and get all that you need. That's what God is trying to tell you. My brother, uh, we got to spend Christmas with him. Uh, one of my brothers, he farms in northeastern Colorado. And um, I was asking him, he, he and his, his wife's family, they have corn circles, irrigated corn circles. And I was asking him, I said, Jeremy, what's your best well? Tell, tell me what your best well is. And he told, me, he told me which one it was. And I said, how much water can that dude pump? That thing can pump 1,600 gallons a minute. 1,600 gallons a minute. You can't drink that fast, I'm telling you. <laughs> you see why it's... Why God uses this image, with joy you will draw water from the wells. of when you, when you hear wells of salvation, what you ought to hear is, all that I need. By the way, why is it wells, plural, S, of salvation? You would think it's, it's just one. Well, it's, it's, it's one salvation. Who's our salvation? What is the well? Verse 2, behold, God is my salvation. We already covered that, right? We're coming to God. Okay, but it's wells because it's, it's, not just, it's not just I was delivered in May of 1990, right? And I got all this grace. But no, man, I, along my spiritual journey, 
I, I come to the well, come to the well, come to God is the aquifer underneath. I don't you guys are probably not interested, in, but my brother is right on the edge of the Ugalala Aquifer. Anybody ever heard of that before? The Ugalala? It's, it's a huge underground reservoir of water, okay? It stretches from, from the western edges in Colorado, where my, my brother is, um, okay? The northern edge is in South Dakota. It covers much of Nebraska. Ugalala, Nebraska, if you've ever been there, that's, that's kind of the center of it, okay? Or, or the, the, the deepest part of it. And then it stretches all the way down. It comes through the western edge of Woodward County, by the way, just barely into, into Woodward County. Stretches through the Panadale of Texas, all the way down into West Texas and into, into eastern New Mexico. 174,000 square miles, if I remember right, of an underwater lake, basically. That farmers can tap into all over the Great Plains and pull 1,600 gallons a minute out. That's kind of what God is. God is this resource that we as we're traveling through our life we tap into we go again and again and again and again to the wells of salvation and 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 we bring up with joy notice we bring up with joy his promises and his truth and and we rest upon his character and who he is as we go through our life we come back in we say okay this is what god has said this is who god is this is what god did and and, and we are we are built up and strengthened and satisfied and refreshed and encouraged through the wells of salvation and this is everywhere in the scripture god wants you to think of jesus in this way in john chapter 7 here's what jesus said John 7, 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Come to me, be refreshed, be filled up. Man, resolution number one for me, 2016, hold me accountable, folks. God, stir up my affection for you. I I, I wrote in my journal, big letters, don't dry up jason that's what i wrote don't dry up man you know how how possible it would be for me to just keep doing going through the motions but inside not have this not have this sense of gratitude for god's deliverance not have the sense that god is my salvation and, and he's my strength and he's my song he's my reason to celebrate John chapter 4, Jesus is standing at a well with a Samaritan woman. And he tells her this, John 4, 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, he's talking about the physical well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I'll give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Why will they never be thirsty again? It's interesting, Jesus tells us we ought to be thirsty. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know why they're not thirsty? Because they have a place to go, right? He's the one who satisfies us. My favorite well passage in the Bible is Jeremiah 2.13. Man, this one, this one, this one will punch you in the gut, all right? It's, it's, it's good. Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. Okay, here's the first one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. You see how God describes himself? God describes himself as an artesian well. 
Okay? You, you, know, you know what Fountain of Living Waters is. You ever been to the golf course here in Woodward? Not Bowling Springs, but the Woodward one? Okay, I don't remember which hole it's on, but they're in the corner of Downs and, uh, what is that, Lakeview? There, there's an artesian well. The thing, I think it's still, I haven't been by there in a while, but I'm assuming it's, it's been going ever since I've lived here, right? It's just, it's just bubbling up, right? I mean, no, no, there's no pump on there. There's no hand pump. There's no electric pump. It, it is a well that just flows out of the ground. God says, that's what I am. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Man, I am, I am refreshment coming out that you just have to come to. But they've said, no, God, I, I don't want that. What instead do they want? Let me read the rest of the verse. And hewed out cisterns for himself, themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know what a cistern is? A cistern is something you build when you don't have a well, okay? Um, it, it, it's a rock that basically you take a chisel and you, you, you hammer out a, a hollowed place in it. And then rainwater comes and fills it up, okay? And then you come back to that. Well, you know how often it rains, right? So summertime, Woodward, right? So it rained, you know, and then three weeks later, you know, you come back to your cistern. Is that, is that good water by then? After the birds and the squirrels and everybody's done their business in it, you know? But he says, not only is it just a cistern, it's a broken cistern. The thing leaks. It dries up. What's the picture there? The picture there is of people who, they're going for their, their security, their salvation, their, their strength, their celebration. They're going to broken cisterns. Man, they're turning to television, you know? Netflix, they're, they're, they're going again and again and again saying, man, this is what's going to rescue me. This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to give me a reason to celebrate. They're going to Facebook and, 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 and they're getting on it again and again and again and again and again and, and, and social media as their hope. This is what's going to be my rescue. And God says, man, why, why are you going to that and not to me? Lots of things could be broken cisterns. Family, relationships, man, marriage. It's not that those things are bad in themselves. There's nothing bad in themselves about TV or social media or whatever. But it is if that's what you're going to for your, your salvation and your strength and your song. Folks, don't dry up. Can I just tell you there's plenty for you? Man, when, when you're anxious or fearful, come to the well. When, when you're tired and burdened, come to the well. When you're frustrated, when, when you're discouraged, when you're overwhelmed, when you're hurt, when you're worried, when you're attacked, man, come to the well. That's what he's telling you to do. Come to the well. Now, here's the really cool part. As you come, okay, as you come, as, as you come to God and get all that you need, okay, there's going to be this internal thing that happens, right? Gratitude, we've already talked about that. This thankfulness, this celebration, this song, this, this trust, not being afraid, this strength. And then that's going to result in obedience to the mission of God. Here's a really cool part of this passage. So look, look back with me at verse 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Okay, so we come to the well. Man, when joy fills our heart. Thanksgiving for God's deliverance. And then verse 4 comes right back and says, and you will say. You see, you come to the well, you drink, and then what happens? Well, you, you say. You say things, right? 
Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. In other words, what you're going to see in the rest of Isaiah 12 is that worship, joy in Christ is the motivator for mission. Let me tell you how different that is from a lot of people's Christianity. You know a lot of people's Christianity? Guilt. Pressure. Man, I hope we don't do this at Lincoln because it just doesn't work. You know, I, I can't strong arm you guys into going and sharing your faith. I can't strong arm you into being, being on mission. It just doesn't work. I mean, I can get up here and tell you how people are going to hell and how, you know, people, if you die without Christ, and those are real, those are true. But you know what I found? Most people aren't moved to obedience. They can feel guilty about it. But, but they, don't, they don't end up being obedient. But you know what I think Isaiah 12 is telling us? Man, when your heart is full of gratitude, when your heart is full of hope, when your heart is full of, of, the, of when God is your song and your salvation and your strength, you know what's gonna happen? You're, you're gonna, verse four, make known his deeds among the people. Do you see how that flows? Verse four, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted. Verse five, sing praises to the Lord for he's done gloriously. There it is, God, God's put this song in our heart. And then the next part of verse five, let this be made known in all the earth. Do, do you see that trend in four and five? Okay, when you're filled up with joy over something, it just comes out of you. We, we spent a couple days skiing with my family over Christmas break. Everybody who's asked us about that, I just noticed this last night. We were, we were visiting a family and, and they asked us, how was your trip? Em and I told the same story. You know the story we tell? The story we tell is of our eight-year-old. You know, it's just her second day, third day skiing, you know? And man, Right away, I mean, right away, I go up with her on the bunny slope. We go come down together. We go up, I think, a second time, and we've got her cousins or about her age are skiing down as well. I'm kind of waiting for them, looking for them. They're coming down the mountain. I look up. Haven, my eight-year-old, is on the lift riding it up without me, you know? And I thought it was an accident at first. I thought, oh, no, she, she got on there without me, you know? So I, I go catch her, you know? We come back down. my like, honey, you know, you, you didn't wait. You know, so she's like, Dad, I can do this by myself, you know? And I was like, well, you know, we're, we're going to go over this other slope. Do you want to come? No, I'll just ski here, you know. Now, I don't know. Man, she was so adamant about it. We took her with us for a while. She was so adamant about just doing it herself. And this may be bad parenting, but it was a really small ski resort. But after a while, we were just like, okay, you know, just stay here, though, you know. She rode that thing, skied it all by herself, you know. We tell that story. Nobody makes us tell that story. We tell that story because we think it's kind of fun. You know, it's cool. You tell the stories that you think are glorious. I don't think we got to guilt people into being on mission for Jesus. I, I think they've just got to have this response in their heart. Notice the last verse, verse six. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. I wonder, when's the last time you shouted for joy? Now think about that. When's the last time you shout, like, you shout, you raise your voice in joy and, and exclamate. When's the last time that that happened? I bet I know. It was at your kid's ball game, wasn't it? Right? They shot, first one, made the basket. Dad, mom, come out of the seat, you know. All right, good job, you know. They got the double out of the stands. You're shouting. They got a score to goal. They caught a pat, whatever, Right? And, and here's, here's the cool thing. When it happened, you did not say, gosh, I better shout. 
You know, it's the right thing to do. The other parents are doing it, you know. Man, it, you couldn't hold it in you. In fact, the people around you would have liked to have tried, right? It, it just, I mean, it came so reflexively. It came so, that's, that's what ought to be our response here to the mission of God. Listen, Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, we ought to take the gospel to Woodward. You ought to take it to your family. We ought to take it to our neighborhoods. We ought to take it to the ends of the earth. We ought to take it to India and Japan and Thailand and everywhere that we have mission partners. We ought to take that gospel, not, not because we feel guilty or because we feel like we have to, we, because we've been delivered. And we go to the well of salvation because we don't want to dry up. And we're refreshed and renewed all over again by God's promises and truth. And man, as that is in us, it comes out of us. Man, here's, here's one of the ways you know if you've dried up or not. Is it coming out of you? You know, is it? I mean, it, with joy, are you proclaiming? With joy, are you sharing? And if you're not, then you need to go back to the well. <laughs> go back to the well. I'm not saying everybody's going to be a preacher, everybody's going to be a teacher. No, but it's stuff just like, it just bubbles out of you. You're just excited about what God's doing. That ought to be the case. If it's not, go back to the well. If it is, go back to the well. Go back to the well either way. Let's drink. Let's drink. Father, I thank you so much for our, your deliverance. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you, Father, for just working in us such a great salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you are a source of continual strength and, and joy and hope and, and deliverance. And God, help us to come back again and again and again. And Father, I pray, God, I pray, help me, God, in 2016, God, just to pursue that my heart would be stirred in affection for you over and over again. In Jesus' name.